Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you have joined us on this Easter. If you are joining us for the very first time, I just want to say how glad I am that you are a part of this. I hope this encourages you. Uh, who would have ever thought that we'd be celebrating Easter like this? I never dreamed that I would do Easter from home, but uh, here we are. And so I decided to film uh, this right in the chair that I sit in every morning to spend time with God. So welcome to my little space. I decided to dress up, not just because it's Easter, but because my family's going to be like your family maybe and, and take pictures, Easter pictures, even though we will not be at church. So, all right, let me start with uh, a story, a picture. Uh, imagine two people that are sitting in two separate rooms, and they can't see each other, they don't know what each other are doing, but they're each doing the same thing. They're doing a job, and that job is a, let's say it's a menial job, it's a tedious job. Let's say it's that they are uh, threading needles. I'm gonna get a needle here and see if I can do it. I remember watching uh, my wife do this, so let's see. It's a little <laughs> if you can imagine doing this all day. Eight hours. I didn't get it done, but I'll put it back. Uh, and one person is told that uh, he gets paid ten dollars an hour. And at the end of his eight-hour shift, he would walk out and there'd be $80 waiting for him. And the other person in the other room is doing the exact same thing, but she's been told she's getting paid $1,000 an hour, and there'll be $8,000 waiting for her at the end of her eight-hour shift. If you could peek into both those rooms, do you think you'd see a difference? Huh, I think you probably would, right? The, the woman threading the needles knowing that she is making $1,000 an hour, probably whistling while she worked. I know I would. What's the difference? The difference is the future. What they thought the future held for them determined how they experienced the present. That's true of you too. What you think is waiting for you outside the door will determine how you are experiencing life right now. And we have a word for that. And that word is hope. And there are a few things that are more powerful in the world than hope. And at this time in our nation's history, in our world's history, there is never a more needed time for hope than right now. And if I could give you an eyedropper of hope, it would change your whole world. It might not change anything outside. Your circumstances could be the exact same as your neighbors. But if you really had hope of what was waiting for you in the future, it would change everything about how you were experiencing those circumstances. That's what I want to do for you today. That's what Easter is about. Easter is all about hope, and hope that is in a particular event, and that event 
is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, but before I do, let me just kind of set the stage. Uh, Rodney Stark, you know, I, I mentioned this the first time we went uh, on for online services uh, several weeks ago. Uh, Rodney Stark wrote a book called uh, The Rise of Christianity. It's not a very big book. Uh, Rodney Stark is a sociologist, historian, and he wrote the book trying to figure out how Christianity was able to sweep across the Roman Empire in just a couple of centuries. And he, uh, he came up with really three reasons. I told you one a few weeks ago. Uh, the one is that uh, the plagues, the pandemics that were happening in the Roman Empire, there were four major plagues, four major pandemics. And what happened during those plagues is that the people in urban areas ran away. Uh, they ran away from everybody who was sick. They knew that if they got out in the country away from people, then they might not get contaminated. So the cities emptied of all but the sick. And Christians ran into the cities. You know, I watch a lot of uh, police shows uh, when I watch TV. And every time there's a, you know, something that's happening, a shooting, and people are screaming and running out of a building, you see the first responders, the police, the firemen, running past everybody against the grain into the building. And I'll always like, grab my wife and just say, look at that. Look at that. Because it's just amazing the courage that they have. That's what Christians did. They ran against the grain, they ran into the city, and they cared for people in the city. And everyone who got well would look at the person who cared for them and say, why would you do this? And the answer was always the same, Jesus. And then the person who recovered would say, then tell me about this Jesus because I want what you have. Right? That was the first reason that Rodney Stark said that Christianity swept across the Roman Empire. The second reason was persecution. And make no mistake, Christians were persecuted. They were fed to the lions in the Colosseum by the score, by the hundreds. And the interesting thing about Christians, when they were persecuted, when they were killed, they didn't fight back. They didn't uh, form armies. They didn't do anything. What they did was they prayed for their persecutors. And many, many times they would forgive their persecutors even as they were dying. It happens so often that one centurion who was in charge in the Colosseum of pushing people out into the area where the lions were said this, behold, these Christians die well. And the more and more times that happened, the more people began to look at Christians and say, what is it that they have that allows them to do what they're doing? The final thing that Rodney Stark mentions is really interesting. Uh, Christians began to introduce to the world a different way to deal with multi-ethnicity. Let me explain what I mean. You know, when the Roman Empire took over, they introduced what was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And that meant that uh, they had conquered all the other nations, and that meant that nations were gathering in the same city for the first time. And so for the first time, you were shoulder to shoulder with people that were very much different, different culture, different ethnic group, different race. And people didn't know, even know how to respond. And along came Christianity. And in Christianity, 
they began to teach that race wasn't the defining factor, that race didn't really mean anything. There wasn't a superior or an inferior race. But what Christianity taught is what Paul the Apostle says, is that there is neither Greek nor Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but everyone is one in Christ. And for these three reasons, then, Christianity did something that, not, that no one has ever been able to do. They, they changed the shape of the world without war and without violence. And of course, the question is how? And the answer is hope. Hope. Christians, when they, were, when they were asked, what gives you the courage? What gives you that compassion? What gives you that joy that we so desperately want and that is so rare? Every Christian pointed to the same thing. They said, we have hope, and that hope is grounded in a single event, and that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Easter has always been great news, but if there was ever a time that the world needs to know the hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. It's now. It's now. And what happened in first century, uh, in the first century with Christians, is that their hope was grounded on this resurrection of Jesus, and that gave them certainty about two things regarding their future. The first thing is that they had a future, that there was a future after death, and number two, that future was good. That future was good. All right, now let me read the passage of Scripture. It's found in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses. This is what it says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. This is God's word. All right. With the first thing, what this did was give Christians the hope that death was not the end, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved to them that there was a future for them. Now, if you're watching this and you are not a Christian, you may be thinking to yourself, and this is very common, you may be thinking, yeah, well, people in the first century, you know, they believed that things like a resurrection could take place, so they were you know, ignorant or they were naive. And uh, we know better now. We know that dead people don't resurrect. And uh, I want to tell you, 
I understand that reasoning, uh, but you really need to do more research. And this is what I mean. This is uh, the book by N.T. Wright called The Resurrection of the Son of God. It's about 800 pages long. It's the, uh, the seminal work on the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, N.T. Wright is a British scholar. The first 200 pages of this book, he goes through all the different worldviews that existed back when uh, Jesus resurrected. And what he says, and he makes a painstakingly kind of scholastic uh, investigation of it, he says there wasn't a worldview that allowed for resurrection of a human being. Not like this. So what happened with Jesus was not what anyone expected. What anyone had a worldview that allowed for that, which is why no one believed that Jesus was going to resurrect, not even his disciples. If you read the Gospels, they were the last to really believe. So if, if you are of that mindset, I just want to encourage you to do some research because this is what we know. There are three things that we know, uh, and we know these for certain. Number one, that within a very, very short amount of time, within months, there were hundreds, even thousands of Jews and Greeks who immediately changed their understanding of the world and began in unison to proclaim that something happened that had never happened before. And that was the resurrection of Jesus. And that kind of shift usually happens gradually over time. Like Christianity, or, or America 100 years ago was much more open to Christianity. Over time, it's changed. Nothing happens in the world like that unless there's a catastrophic event that people know happened. That's the first thing we know. The second thing we know is this, that there were hundreds of people that claimed to have seen Jesus, that claimed to have touched Jesus. And that happened over a period of 40 days, many of them meeting with Jesus more than once. And then they began to tell people, their friends and their family, until thousands upon thousands of people within a couple of months of Jesus' death were talking about him being alive. That we know, because that was the beginning of Christianity. And then finally, the other thing we know is what I just said about what Rodney Stark has chronicled in his book, The Rise of Christianity, that we know that within a couple of centuries, there were tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians who were responding to the plagues of Rome in a way that was absolutely breathtaking. And every single person that did that Every single person that claimed to see Jesus, every single person that changed their worldview pointed to a single event, and that was the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus convinced people that there was something, that there was life after death. Because one of the great fears, actually there are two fears about there being no future the first fear is that this is all there is, that we just become food for worms and that when you finish this life, that there is nothing waiting for you but an abyss of nothingness. 
And that is absolutely terrifying. And hardly anybody really holds on to that or is able to live because when you think that's what awaits you outside the door, then everything inside the door, inside that room that you live in becomes meaningless because you know it's so brief. It becomes what Shakespeare said, that uh, life is like a, a brief candle, like a brief tale, uh, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's the first fear. The second fear of death is this, that after death, what awaits you is judgment, that you will stand before a holy God and justice will be done. And at first blush, most people think, oh, well, that'd be great because they think of themselves as, a good, as good people. But if you ever spend any time really thinking through your day or your week or your year or your life, and you begin to think, what would it be like to come before a holy God and to have to make an atonement for every single thing I have ever done that displeased him or that hurt another person? then what awaits you? What kind of karma awaits you? Those are the two big fears. And what happened with Christians is because Jesus resurrected, they knew that what awaited them was life, not an abyss of nothingness. And because Jesus had resurrected, what Jesus came to say is that he could make atonement for us. And so when they saw Jesus, they thought, it's, it's true. Jesus really can pay for my sins. What Jesus' resurrection was like was like a receipt. Like you go to a store and you buy something, and I've done this before, where you buy something at one register, and, but it's a, it's a ways from the door that leads out of the store. Well, you better have a receipt. And if someone stops you, you can show the receipt and say, no, no. What I have is paid for. That's what Jesus' resurrection is. That first Easter Sunday morning, when people began to say, he's up, he's alive, what they were saying is everything he told us about what he could do for us is true. Not only does life await us after death, but we don't have to fear the judgment of God because what Jesus did on the cross paid for our sins and we have that receipt because he's alive. Okay, that's the first thing. So the Christians of the first century were able to have courage and compassion and joy because they were the very first people that were absolutely convinced that what awaited them outside of this little room that we call this life was not an abyss of darkness and nothingness, but was life itself. The second thing, is that they were convinced that the future that awaited them was good. The future that awaited them was good. And let me read another passage of scripture. It's kind of like being in that room and knowing that your shift is over and that there's life that awaits you outside, but it's a whole other thing to believe that something absolutely wonderful is waiting for you. And this is what it says in the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are three things that that tells us that await us, that makes our future good. And the first is that death will have no sting. Death will have no sting. You know, that word sting in the Greek is the same word for poison. It's, kind of, it's like a scorpion's sting. And what Paul tells us is because of Jesus' resurrection, our death will not have that poison. We will not have to be afraid for those same reasons that I told you before. Because we know that there is life after death. There is not an abyss waiting. We know that the judgment of God is not something to be feared because of what Jesus has done for us. So death has no sting for us. The second thing that awaits us is this. Scars tell a story. Scars tell a story. When you read the Gospels, when you read the stories of Jesus' resurrection, there's always an interesting detail. Jesus' hands, his feet, and his side. That Jesus would show his hands, he would show his scars to prove that he was alive. And scars always tell a story, no matter where you have the scar. I have a scar right here that came from a headbutt. Uh, that I got when I was playing basketball at a YMCA. Uh, I zigged and he zagged, and we hit heads, and his head was harder than mine, which I could have told you, but that'll be another part. But when we hit, I got split open, and so that's the story behind that scar. Jesus' scars tell a story. Jesus would show his scars and say, the way I got this scar is that I paid a price for you so you wouldn't have to pay. Jesus' scars tell us that we are so deeply loved that he went to the cross for us. And because of Jesus' resurrection, what happened is that his scars, which showed something that was terrible, became something wonderful. Because the terribleness of the crucifixion was swallowed up completely by the joy of the resurrection. And that's not just true of Jesus' scars. Because of Jesus' resurrection, it's true of your scars as well. That one day, every sad thing that happened to you will be swallowed up by the joy of the morning, the joy of new life. In the book, Lord of the Rings, at the very end, when everything starts to come together, little Sam Gamgee, the hobbit who had endured so much, he wakes up after almost dying and he thinks and he sees Gandalf, his, the wizard, and he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. And then he said, I thought I was dead. 
And then he says, well, all sad things come untrue. And if you've ever seen the movie, at that moment, he is just laughing because joy has swallowed up all the hardship and all the, all the sadness and all the pain. And that's what Christians were convinced of in the first century because of the resurrection of Jesus, because his pain was swallowed up by joy, that when we are resurrected, our pain will be swallowed up by joy. And the final part of the future that awaits us is that you will finally be the real you. I will finally be the real me. When it says the perishable will be swallowed up by the imperishable, the mortal by immortality, it doesn't say that you will become a spirit or you will become a ghost. What it says is that you will become permanent. You will become solid. You will be more real than you've ever been before. You will be beautiful within and without. You will be the you you always desperately wanted to be. Those are the things. Those early Christians that were filled with such courage, such compassion, such joy, that they went into the midst of a world that was just a wreck. And they were so different that they began to spread across the Roman Empire at lightning speed because no one had ever seen anything like it. And when they were asked what gave them such courage, what gave them such compassion, what gave them such joy, they would say hope. And when somebody asked them where their hope was founded, they would say, because Jesus lives, I also will live. Listen, in this world right now, I want you to start thinking of yourself as being in that room, maybe threading a needle like that, but knowing that what was waiting for you outside the door was so wonderful that no matter how tedious it was, it wouldn't be tedious to you. Because what you believe about the future completely changes how you experience right now today. If you're watching this and you do not know Jesus and you have never really believed in the resurrection, then I want you to know that when you begin to believe that Jesus lives, when you really investigate it, when you give your life to Jesus, it may not change anything on the outside of your circumstances, but it will change you absolutely and completely. Because what you believe about the future always impacts how you experience the present. And for those of us who are Christians, this is the best day ever. Because this is a reminder to us that no matter what is going on in the world, we have hope. And that hope is anchored in an event, the greatest event in human history, when Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and three days later resurrected with life. And because he did, we live. I hope you have a wonderful Easter because he is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless.